good morning, afternoon, or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. chapter 13 verse 17 it says then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines although that was near for God said lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt and so God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea say way of the wilderness I want to speak to you just for a few short moments today on something that God kind of placed in my heart as I was reading my Bible, and the sermon is simply titled this, The Way of the Wilderness. The Way of the Wilderness. Pray with me before you're seated today that the Word of God today would minister to you specifically today wherever you're at. God, I pray that this Word that you have placed in my heart to communicate to your people today, God, it would not find itself... In, in an eloquent speech that I put forth just for the sake of hearing me today. But God, I pray that they would find true transformation. They would find true illumination in the scripture today, God. That what you want them to understand today comes to light, God. I pray that you'd speak to us by the power of your word. That it would transform us in our hearts, God. And we pray in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It doesn't take very long reading through the Bible before you will stumble upon a reference throughout the scripture, whether it's the Old Testament or the New, to the people called the Israelites. And quite often the people called the Israelites being somehow connected to slavery or bondage in the land of Egypt. And so today uh, I I will attempt to share with you something that kind of jumped out of the scriptures at me as as I've been doing some study on this, and as always, I feel like it's necessary to set the stage a little bit of the context for the scripture that we read this morning. You see, back in the Old Testament, the the people called the people of Israel or the Israelites were, were known as God's chosen people. They were the people that Really, they didn't worship the false gods and built up idols and and worshiped all sorts of nonsense, but they understood that the God of creation, the God of the Old Testament was the one true God that they had some sort of special relationship with. I guess if you wanted to draw the parallel today, if you call yourself a Christian and you read the Old Testament, you could kind of associate yourself along the lines of the Israelites. You were with God. You were on God's team. And so we hear of these people called the Israelites. And early on near the end of Genesis leading into Exodus, we learn that due to famine across the land and lack of food supplies and food stores, the people of Israel had to navigate their way to the land of Egypt. And it's because the Egyptians were plentiful in their grain and plentiful in their storehouses of food. And this was what God had kind of divinely orchestrated, that they would travel to Egypt and they would be nourished and they would be provided for and it was all going well at the start we had the Egyptians and the Israelites kind of living together without really much conflict at all but before long the Egyptians started to notice something that the Israelites were multiplying and they were multiplying quickly 
They started to multiply at a rate that was a little bit alarming for the Egyptians because for the Egyptians, they realized that there's so many Israelites that are, are, are popping up and there's so many Israelites that are, are, are kind of taking over our lands that we're a little nervous that they might try to overthrow power here and they might try to overtake this land. And you have to see that the Israelites and the Egyptians are not the same people. They, they worship different gods and their culture and their morals and everything that they do look very different. And so there's this clashing of cultures. And so what do the Egyptians do? They put the Israelites into slavery and into bondage to try to suppress and to try to stop the spread and, and try to uh, sequester the growth of those people. And the Bible says that it is a bondage that is not pleasant. They're put to work as uh, slave drivers and taskmasters would rule over them and, and basically put them to grieving and grueling work, building materials to, that would eventually build the kingdom of Egypt. And they would pack together dirt and mortar and create bricks. And they were driven so hard that their spirit was broken and their spirit was crushed. And this was the context of what we read today in our story. And I'm sure if you've been around Sunday school growing up or even look in Hollywood, you've heard of the figure of Moses. They tried to make Moses into a motion picture a couple years ago. Uh, and you, we learn of this figure, Moses, that rises up out of, out of, kind of seemingly out of nowhere. And Moses is situated to be a leader that is going to break these Israelites that are found in bondage and they're found in captivity and slavery free of that Egyptian rule. And not only that, but he will break them free from that slavery, but it's one thing to be broken free from slavery, but if that's all you've ever known in your life, and that's all you've ever grown up in is that you're a slave, to be broken free, it'd be helpful to go somewhere. It'd be helpful to know that where I'm going after this is going to be better than where I am currently. And so Moses is also established as the leader that will lead them into what we come to know as the promised land, or the homeland. You will once again build a nation that would be called Israel and your people will have a space of their own. You will have your own land where you can worship and you can have your own land that will be rich, the Bible would say, with milk and with honey and it will be fertile ground and you will not have to need for anything. And so Moses is established as this leader who will come before the people and break them from these bonds of slavery. And again, I'm sure most of you would know the story the plagues that would come upon Egypt. Moses, he's not some uh, militaristic vagabond who is experienced with political overthrow here. He's simply following the word and the leading of God who is God has spoken to him that I will establish you and tell you what to do in order to break this captivity of Pharaoh upon the Israelites. And so he goes before Pharaoh and he approaches them and says, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. It's been long enough. They've been in slavery. They've been in bonds for too long. And the Lord says that it is time to go. And if you don't, there's going to be some bad things that happen in the land of Egypt. And we hear about the plagues, the plague of the frogs, the plague of leprosy, the, the locusts. And the, well, eventually we get to the plague of the firstborn. And Pharaoh finally has enough. And he says, all right, Moses, you win. I cannot take the plagues anymore. I cannot take this attack on the Egyptian kingdom anymore. I understand that God is on your side and you can take your people and get out of here. In fact, I never want to see your face again. And this is the context of where we read our opening scripture. It's, it's jailbreak time for the Israelites. They've received the green light from Pharaoh that you guys need to get out of town because I'm done with your God bringing your plagues and bringing your misfortune on my people. 
And I'm not really sure what Moses is probably thinking in this moment because there's not really a, you know, a handbook on how to get all these people out of Egypt into this land that I'm going to show you. I mean, that's kind of vague, God. I don't necessarily know how to go about this. The reality of it is that Moses is looking at about a million people by this point of the story. They went into Egypt probably 60, 70, 80 people. And the Bible says that there were 600,000 men, at, in Israelite men in Egypt at this time. So you can do the math and assume there's probably close to a million people that Moses has the task of somehow leading out of Egypt to a land that God will reveal and will show. I mean, you, you don't just pull out your phone, open up your Waze app, and, and punch in milk and honey and, and, and see what comes up, you know? You got to understand, Moses doesn't necessarily know what this looks like, but he's trusting in the Lord to say that I will lead you and I will show you. And so God shows up as a pillar of a cloud, in the day and a pillar of fire in the night and that is what they would follow and that was the 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 google maps of the day for them that was what they would lead them on their journey towards this land where they would be restored once again as a nation look at verse 17 with me again if you will of our opening text says then it came to pass when pharaoh had let the people go that god did not lead them by the way of the land of the philistines although that was near. What it's saying there is that there was a direct route. There was a way to get to this so-called promised land that was a direct route, but God chose not to take them on the direct route, but rather God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. I've got a map for you to throw up on the screen, and you guys can take a look at this. If you look on that map, it's a a, a illustration of the possible, one of the possible routes that the children of Israel took out of the exodus of Egyp to the promised land. And we'll uncover this a little bit today. But number one up here in the top corner is basically where they were in Egypt in captivity. The promised land is over here by 1718. There's a direct connection between the two. That was the route of the Philistines. Mark, if you're getting in an aircraft and you're going to fly there, you're going to look for the most direct route to get your passengers there. Everybody loves the direct flight, right? Nobody likes to have to fly to Atlanta just to get to, you know, somewhere else in the U.S. because there's not a direct flight. You like a direct flight. It's convenient. There was a direct path available, and it was from number one up to about number 17. But God said no. I'm not going to take you on this path, the land of the Philistines. Think about where you've heard that name before, the land of the Philistines. God didn't take the express highway. He led them on the roundabout way because he knew the Philistines were a people of war. Think Goliath. That's probably the most infamous Philistine name that you know of. He knew that if he took the people on the route that made the most sense, if he took the people on the direct route the chances were they weren't going to make it. They were either going to die on the journey or they were going to retreat back to Egypt because they were not prepared for what was on the journey. Verse 18 says, He led them on a roundabout way through the wilderness. So let the text show us today before we begin that the path that God has set you on today, the path that you are currently traveling in this life, 
Sometimes it doesn't always make sense as to why you're going the direction that you're going. Sometimes when we look at the direction that we are on with our own eyes and our own understanding, it might seem like there's a better way to go. It might seem like there's a different route that would get us there more quickly, more easily. But let me tell you today, the text shows us that God has you exactly where he needs you to be to get you exactly where he wants you to go. The straightest way for the Israelites to get to their homeland was not the way that they took. You see, the Israelites had just been freed. You've got you to picture the type of people that we're talking about here. They had just been freed from years, generations, depending on uh, the, the, the view that you take and, and who's studying out the, the, the text. Some would say anywhere from 200 to 400 years of slavery in Egypt. There were generations of people where that's all that they ever knew. And here we have a people who had just been freed from this, the relentless taskmasters and slave drivers of Egypt. And they were broken. They were oppressed. They were frustrated, angered, yes, but militaristic warriors they were not yet. And so God knew that he needed to take them on a detour. If you look at verse 18 again. He took them on the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. The way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. In that moment, we look at it now on a map. We blow it up and we look at the geography. It doesn't make much sense for the Israelites. But God sometimes has to bring us the long way because we are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually not prepared to face what's going to be on the journey yet. We're not experienced enough to face what's on the short route or what's waiting for us at the end of the trip, but God has to take us on the wilderness way. We get frustrated in the wilderness way. Anybody ever felt like they're walking through a wilderness sometimes? They're just walking through what doesn't seem to be like the way that makes a lot of sense. Many people think and will study out and believe that Moses could have got the people from Egypt to the promised land in a little over a week. But instead, it became a journey that took many, many, many years. And although the Lord is always present in the wilderness, it is not always the most pleasant place. What is the wilderness to you? You know, when I think of that word wilderness, I think of so many things. Maybe you picture that desert, barren desert scene, and that would be fitting for the story that we look at today, but, but really maybe you go to a trip you've been on, a place that was very isolated or very desolate. Mark, I think of the story you tell of, of traveling to the South Pole in an airplane, and I'm sure that you felt in those moments like I am in the middle of absolute nowhere. I've had the opportunity to travel with my secular job a little bit, and I've been to the northern coast of Labrador and into the Arctic of Nunavut. And I've literally felt, and, and this is probably just me feeling this, I can't say for sure, but I felt like when I put my foot on the ground, like I was the first person who had ever set foot on that part of the earth. A word that comes to me is uncharted. It's new territory. And I think that word is fitting for the children of Israel, that the wilderness is uncharted for them. Understand, this is a brand new people. 
Their whole life they've been told what to do. Their whole life they've been told what to think. Their whole life they've been told how they could live, when they could sleep, what they had to do with their time. They've been steeped in Egyptian culture. And all of a sudden, this world opens up before them. And it's uncharted. It's new. It is the wilderness. And it is a time of testing. And it is a time of learning if they will let it be. The wilderness is a time of learning for the children of Israel. And it's a time for learning in our lives when we find ourselves in that place. I want to touch on just a couple locations throughout the wilderness. I, I cannot in a 40-minute sermon talk about 40 years of wilderness wanderings, uh, but I want to just talk about a couple moments of Israel's journey through the wilderness today that I think has great meaning for you and for me, whether you're new in Christ or whether you've been walking with Christ for some time. I believe that there's some great great insights to be found. So let's look at this image again. We know that Moses is leading the people out of Egyptian slavery. He's broken out of that slavery. He's broken out of that bondage, and, and, and they're following that pillar, and they're following that cloud, and the route that they take, there's two potential directions that they go, depending, again, there's so many different studies on uh, trying to verify where biblical locations actually line up with real-world geography. And so you could go online and find a map like this, and it might look a little different, and there's different versions of it. But there's two possible scenarios of their first place that they go. One is number three. You see it right about here. But the other option is right about here, down to number nine. And in both instances, they hit their first obstacle. It's called... The Red Sea. And you guys know the story, right? That this is, this is what sells in Hollywood where Moses is taking the people out of Egypt and they're following that little dash blue line down to the number three. And then all of a sudden, it's like out of nowhere because the Red Sea hasn't always been there. They just bump into the Red Sea. <laughs> Moses, did you bring a boat? Why did you take us on this path? You know, if they took the direct route, hear this, if they took the direct route, you realize that the Red Sea isn't even involved. If they took the direct path, you know that the Red Sea is not even in the picture. But God specifically leads them with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He takes them directly to the shore of the Red Sea. And once they get there, what do they hear? They begin to hear, oh my goodness, the Egyptians are coming. Oh my goodness, the Egyptians, I, I think I hear the sound of their chariots. I think I hear the sound of their, their warriors coming. And all of a sudden, they find themselves stuck between the shores of the Red Sea and the captors who just released them into their newfound freedom. God, why did you take me on this route? God, what are you doing? It's the wilderness. I want to read to you some scripture of the escape through the Red Sea. I apologize, Vivian, I didn't give you the, I don't have the chapter reference in my, in, my, in my notes, but I think you can follow me on the screen. The escape through the Red Sea. They find themselves stuck between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, and, 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 and God says to Moses, what are, you, what, are you, what are you going to do, Moses? Verse 16 says, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea onto dry ground. 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. I want you to pay attention to that. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. If we could go back a little bit, God, the, the word says that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart to send the Egyptians after the Israelites. So what that means is that God is kind of taking control of these, these, these pawns in his little game here. He's kind of, you know, it's not saying that the, the, the Egyptians were under Pharaoh's orders. It says the Egyptians had their hearts hardened by God so that they would pursue the Israelites. Just keep that in the back of your mind. I will harden their hearts so they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. Jump down to verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the dry seabed into land. So the people walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. I know you've heard this story. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these chariots, from these, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is clearly fighting for them against Egypt. And when the Israelites had finally reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again, and the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. And so as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all of the chariots and charioteers. The entire army of Pharaoh all of the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall. Verse 30, this is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. It doesn't make any sense taking the way of the wilderness. God, if we had just taken the direct route, the Red Sea would not be involved. But obviously God wanted something to be done by the way of the Red Sea. Obviously God wanted to communicate in this, 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 this new fresh embarking, this, this uncharted territory where he was taking this new people. He wanted to teach them something through the Red Sea. He hardened the hearts of the Egyptians. He caused the Egyptians, who probably would have minded their own business any other way, he caused the Egyptians to pursue. Why do you do that, God? Because God wanted to speak something into the Israelites that day. As they walked through that water and the, the Egyptians are chasing them through, eventually the waters would crash in and destroy the Egyptian army. What was God trying to say that day? He was trying to tell the Israelites that I am your God and it is finished. The people who had you bound under slavery, the people who had you bound under captivity, you're not just kind of free. You're not just going to have to live your life wondering if you're going to wake up one day and outside of your tent is going to be that same Egyptian army that kept you captive. Today they are dead and they are gone and there is freedom that comes by being my children. He needed to establish some sort of precipice, precedence with his children. That I am your God and there is freedom in following me. Yeah. 
And I can't help but see the own type of my own redemption in this story. Really, if you think about it, it's just a precursor to what Jesus would do in the New Testament. Paul would write in Romans that we are slaves to sin. There was a time when I was a slave to my own sin. I was a slave and I was bound and I was ordered and I was run and my mind and my heart were oppressed and broken and angry and it was because of the sin that I found myself in. But then Jesus, he made a way. He made a way of escape for that. He made a way of escape from the slavery to sin and it's through that death on the cross and and the, the waters of baptism. It's a perfect picture of what happened in the Red Sea. When I go into the water and I come out, it's like God's showing me something. You're not just a little bit free, but you are free indeed. Your old man is left in the water. Your old past is left in the water, just like the Egyptian soldiers. It's in verse 30. They saw their corpses lying in the water. That was God saying to them, look at who I am. Look at what I can do. I am your God. You don't have to worry about what you came out of anymore. You don't have to worry about that past. You don't have to worry about that oppression. You don't have to worry about that. If you keep following after me, I am going to show you things. I'm going to reveal things to you. But understand this. They learned it in the wilderness. They learned it in the wilderness. On the path that might not have made sense to them, God was trying to teach them something. Because there's things to be learned in the wilderness if you will let it teach you. John 8 and 32, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus has come to set us free, like like the Israelites were set free from the Egyptians. It's in Jesus and the truth of the cross and what he has done that we no longer have to look back. The wilderness way doesn't always make sense, but it's teaching me something. And it wouldn't stop there. On the journey would go. Throw it back up on the... The screen, you can see the line. They would go through the Red Sea and then the journey would go on through hills and valleys and open plains. And I can't imagine the logistics of a road trip like this. They would say that it could take days from when one person passed a a landmark to the last person passed the landmark. It could be days. That's how many people there were. It's like the greatest family road trip you can ever think of. (laughs) How many love family road trips? You know, they're good for about a week, <laughs> maybe, maybe two. You know, how do we figure out sleeping arrangements here? And there's always that person. You know the person. They have to go to the bathroom every five minutes. You know, we can't get any, we can't get any progress here, guys. I have to keep stopping for I'm trying to think of a good Bible name, and I can't. Hezekiah keeps having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, there's no service stations along this route. You, there's no easy spots to pull off and, 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 and grab a meal. There's no easy spots to pull off and just grab a room for the night. The journey goes on. One week goes by, yeah, we're okay. Two weeks go by, well, we'll figure it out. Can't be much longer, right? Week three, it's got to be just around the corner. It's got to be right there. This is week three. I mean, I don't, have much, I don't have much patience left. Week three, God, we're still following that cloud. We're still following that pillar. It's got to be here. It's about week four when things start to kind of come undone a little bit. 
People are people, right? People are people. You're no better. You guys wouldn't make it four weeks with your own family. <laughs> Exodus 16, verse 2. At about the four-week mark, there too, the whole community started to complain about Moses and Aaron. Verse 3. If the Lord had only killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread that we wanted. But you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Mm. One month goes by and they're saying, I wish we had just died back in Egypt. How bad must it have been in that wilderness journey that they want to crawl back to the bondage. They want to crawl back to the slavery that they had known. How bad is it? And you know what? We can't judge them because we do the same thing sometimes. God breaks us from the bonds of our own sin, and before you know it, we have that same attitude. I want to, you know what? At least back there, I had a circle of friends around me who understood me and understood my life, and you know what? Maybe I should just go back to that, and we forget in quite short order where we came from. The way of the wilderness is not always pleasant, but it is always there to teach me something. You see, in this part of the story, God knew that if we're going to make it into the life, the purpose, and the place, in the story, it's the promised land. But for you and I today, if we're going to make it into the life and the place and the purpose that he has designed for us, he has to take us to a place where our dependency towards the hand of God outweighs the hand of man. Again, there's something to be learned in the wilderness here. God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. There's a quicker way, but his desire, God's desire is that our default response in the time of need is to turn towards him and not towards man. And all too often, our own default, our, our own default tendency is, what can I provide for myself? What can I provide for my family? What can I do to actually provide security for me? But God had to take these people, these wanderers in the wilderness to a place where they realized they needed him. They were desperate for him, and their dependency was upon him. They needed, God needed to remove them far enough away from their past to rewire the position of their hearts. And God's anticipating these complaints. He knows people. He knows us better than we know ourselves. In verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, all right, you got a bunch of complainers. I'm ready for this. Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day, and I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. You know, a test just goes to show somebody how much you've learned. The wilderness is a place of learning. And so God tells him, each evening I'm going to supply you, you bunch of complainers. I'm going to supply you with quail, and they're going to litter the ground, and that's going to be your meat. And in the morning, there's going to be a dew that covers the ground, and when that dew evaporates, it's going to leave behind this crust, and that crust is going to be bread for you to eat. And you can eat as much of it as you want. You can eat as much or as little of it as you want, and there will be plenty. But there is a stipulation. He didn't just give them. He gave them a stipulation. He said, no leftovers. 
don't, don't, don't pack a doggy bag. He said, you can have as much as you want, but at the end of the day, don't take any more than, don't store stuff up. Don't keep it for the next day. Now, if, if you're a bear, we, we use leftovers in our house. I grew up on leftovers. We'd eat the same lasagna for about seven days in my house. And you didn't complain that you were tired of lasagna at all. Because you didn't necessarily, you know, you, why do you keep leftovers? You don't want to get up and make breakfast, right? Why do, God, this is a strange request. Like, these people are just trying to be practical. They're just trying to not be wasteful. They're trying to think about, you know, global warming. They don't want to create a large carbon footprint. They're just trying to, you know, pack up the leftovers. It's the responsible thing to do. But God is trying to teach them something in this. He's trying to teach them because they would take leftovers if they didn't think when they woke up the next day there'd be something to eat. They would take leftovers because, hey, there's food today, but I don't know what tomorrow's got. But if they really trusted the word of God, which God said, each day I will bring fresh manna, each day I will bring meat onto the ground that you will eat, if they truly trusted his word, they don't have any need to take leftovers. It was a test to see if they could listen and obey the word of God and build faith in their God. And those who kept leftovers, what happened to it? Wake up and you got maggoty bread. Maggoty bread because it went bad because God was trying to teach them that you don't have to worry about where your food's going to come from. You don't have to worry about where your provision's going to come from. You don't have to rely on yesterday's blessing because tomorrow I am going to make it new once again for you. So the wilderness journey was about teaching them that their God was a God who would supply each and every day. The wilderness is not the fastest route, but it's the route that will teach you something. It's the route that will develop a dependency upon God over a dependency on yourself. You can try to store up leftovers all you want, but they are not going to compare at all to the new blessings that God will give you the next day. I don't have time to unpack the rest of the journey that these Israelites were on. If, if you want to read through it, I, I encourage you to, to grab a Bible and just read the story. It's, it's, it's so powerful. Um, I'm going to kind of park this message kind of, kind of near a turning point in the story and, 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 and open it up to you to process what this message means for you and where you're at today. I'm going to ask the music if they would come back. If you read through the story, two or three years will go by. They're still on this journey. They're still wandering. There's still ups and downs. There's still times of complaining. There's still seasons of... Of, of, of lament and there's times that they're angry and there's times that they're frustrated and God is still providing for them. There's this one time he makes water come out of a rock. You know, he's just, he's, he's trying to demonstrate to them. He's trying, again, these people are a new people. They're, they're learning who this God is and he's trying to demonstrate that he is on their side, that he is building faith in them. He's making them strong in their faith and dependent upon God so that when they get to that moment, when they get to that moment where God says, here's the land I'm giving you, they are equipped to take it. They're equipped with the faith and they're equipped with the strength and they're equipped with the ability to say, I know that God can get me to that place. It's been on this journey for a few years now and they're really, they're within reach of what we call the promised land. We, we saw it up on the, the screen. They're in reach. They could probably throw a stone and hit it. The Bible says that Moses being smart, you know, if we're, if we're 
about to enter into this new land that God's given us, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't send everybody in at once, you know. We might just we might be wise to send a few people in, see what it looks like. Figure this out. We can make a plan, be responsible. And so they assign 12 spies right at the, the border of the promised land. And these 12 spies are assigned to go in and scout out the land and bring back a report of, of what they've seen and what they've saw and what the plan is going to be. And again, remember over the last two or three years, God's been working with this people. He's been taking them on this wilderness wandering. He's been trying to teach them. He's been trying to let them know and understand that He is their rock. He is their source of strength facing the Red Sea and there's enemies at your back, I'm going to make a way for you and I'm going to destroy your enemies. He's, he's been working this into them and they come back from the, the land that they've spied out. There's 12 of them that go out. And of the 12 that go out, 10 of them come back and say, well, God is, you know, he's, he's good on his word. It definitely is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's definitely a fertile land. It's definitely a land. Here, look at the grapes that I brought back. I brought you back some produce just to show you that it really is what he said it was. It's a place that we can call home. But those 10 people also said, but there's already people living there. And they look like giants. And we look like grasshoppers. These people who have been wandering the wilderness for two, three years already. God's been trying to teach them something. They come back and say, what? They're still just a grasshopper. They hadn't left behind their Egyptian mindset yet. They hadn't left behind the past that they had been steeped in for so many years. They hadn't left behind the bondage they were once in. The Bible talks about two of the twelve, and I'm sure you know the story. Caleb and Joshua Bible has something different to say about the report that they brought back. We'll end this today in Numbers chapter 14, looking at verse 22. The ten spies bring back a report that says, I don't think we can do it. How are we going to take this land? How are we going to enter into this promise that we've been working so hard to receive? There's no way we can defeat those who are currently in that territory. There's no way they're going to let us come in and just have this land. Caleb and Joshua had a different perspective. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, No, we, we've, we've learned something in the wilderness. We've learned something in this wilderness wandering, this wilderness way that our God is faithful. That the same God who delivered us from the Egyptians across the Red Sea, the same God who provided manna for us, the same God who provided meat for us, the same God who led us by a pillar, he's the same God who has brought us to this moment and has prepared us to take the promise that he's given us. But look what the scripture says. It's heartbreaking. It says, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness way. They saw God's hand of provision. But again and again, 
they have tested me by refusing to trust in my voice. Verse 23. They will never even see the land that I swore to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with any contempt will ever see it. And then verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. Not a different wilderness experience. He went through the same wilderness that the other ten did. He went through the same wandering that the other ten did. But he had a different attitude. And the attitude was that my God will bring me through to the promise he has spoken. My God will deliver me through to the promise that he has spoken over my life. And so he says, Caleb has a different attitude. He has remained loyal to me. And so I will bring him into the land that he explored. And his descendants will possess a full share of that land. There's an entire generation of wanderers that died in the wilderness. They died never seeing the promise of God fulfilled in their life because they did not have the attitude that I will trust God. I will trust God in the wilderness. I will follow Him in the wilderness. He has brought me this far to show me something, to teach me something, so that when I arrive at the steps of my promise, I'm ready to receive it. While you today might not be able to control being in the wilderness, or what the wilderness looks like, there is something that you can control, and that is your attitude in the wilderness. You can be like those ten spies, like those children of Israel who kept quarreling, saying, you know what, I wish I was back in Egypt. I was, wish I was back in my old life. I wish I was back in the way it was because I just don't see how God's going to make this work. You can be like those spies that said, God, I'm but a grasshopper in the sight of these giants who possess the land. Or you can be like Caleb that says, God, I've listened. I've learned. And I understand now why I was in the wilderness. Because without the wilderness, my, I would not have the faith to stand here today and say, we can possess the land. We can walk into that promised land and we can take it. I ask you to stand with me today. I'm not sure where you find yourself in this story. I, I hope that it is, has, has been for somebody today. You know, there's, there's many aspects of where you can find yourself. Someone today might still feel like the slave in Egypt, like you haven't even been broken out yet. Like you haven't even had your jailbreak from this life of slavery to just sin in this world and the, the cultures and the morals and the decay of this world are just controlling you and ruling you. And you might feel like you've never broken free from that. I want to let you know today that just like the Israelites who traveled through the Red Sea, God wants you to know that through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross for you and for me, there is a freedom from that grave. There is a freedom from that slavery that we once walked in. And maybe you just find yourself in the wilderness right now, today, where it seems like, God, I've surrendered my life to You. I prayed to You. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking You for my family, for my marriage, in my children but it just seems like it's not making sense to me maybe you're facing the Red Sea right now 
Maybe you're facing a blockage and you have no idea how you're going to get through it. But maybe God brought you to that place just to show you something when that Red Sea parts. When that Red Sea falls and it no longer hinders you, what is God going to speak to you in that moment? I'm going to open up the end of the service today. I, I mentioned it when I started. The atmosphere for miracles, the atmosphere for deliverance, the atmosphere for healing is in this room today. And I don't know what you need. I don't know where you find yourself in the journey. I don't know. But I believe that God has given me this word to share with you as a church today. And so I'm going to invite those of you who want to, who feel comfortable in stepping forward and, and, and coming to this altar to end this service and just praying out to God and saying, God, I'm in the wilderness right now. I feel like I'm on this journey and I just need to be reminded today that I am not alone. I am not lost. I am not uh, without you caring for me. You're carrying me through this moment of this season of my life and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe in you that you're going to carry me through it, that the Red Sea that I'm facing today will be my victory story tomorrow and it'll be the testimony and the strength that I stand. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram. And on Facebook, just search Life Church and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. Now before you go, we ask if possible from whatever platform you may be listening to us on, give us a rating or a review or even both, and share this message with someone so that they can be impacted by the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.